pastors here, and today in the church calendar, you may not know, but it's a day we call Pentecost. It's a day we celebrate. Destiny's very excited. It's a day we celebrate. Uh, some people would be angry at this, but I, I say it's the day that the church really began, because it's the day that the Holy Spirit came and inaugurated his place as Lord in the presence of his people with all kinds of craziness that would happen, but it sent the church out on amazing mission and character and formation. And so today, we celebrate that in worship like we normally do. We celebrate that. We have a, a sermon on Pentecost, and we're going to be going through a couple of weeks on that in what it means to be a disciple and following Jesus. But today, I just want to welcome you, ask you to stand with me as you have the capacity. For you at home, I know it's weird, but you should stand too, I think, as you have the capacity. As we stand, we step into an anticipation of what the Lord might do. We step into a posture of worship, calling out for God, who is Lord of Lords. Jesus is King. And so uh, our mission here is to welcome Jesus into all of life. The spirit of Jesus, the person of Jesus, Jesus alive today in the world. And so as we welcome Jesus into all of life this morning, would you, would you take this posture with me in a, in a simple three-word phrase that the church has uh, extended in, in its whole lifetime. It's just come Holy Spirit. On this day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit landed on the church and sent it out, we ask, come Holy Spirit. Yes. Come Holy Spirit. We celebrate, God, that you have done this. There's nothing we can do to get energized or change anything. God, the church isn't the hope. You're the hope in the church. So come Holy Spirit. Inaugurate Send, bring your character in us, we ask in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Let's worship together. Yes, okay. So, as part of the church, we have that hope of that Holy Spirit dwelling in us and through us changing the world just like he did many thousands of years ago when Paul converted 3,000 people, right? 3,000. So this first song is simply us asking the Lord to use us, build the church, so that we can fight all the darkness that's been happening. It was written way before 2020, but I feel like it's quite an apt song for where we are right now. So will you join me in singing Build Your Kingdom Here? Church, we pray the 
darkness in the darkness we were waiting with our hope with our light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt Praise the Father. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. God of glory. Majesty. Praise forever to the King of the kingdom coming to reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost to redeem the whole creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for us
just join us in exalting him? stay right here in this this moment in the spirit that we have right now would you whether out loud or in your hearts just praise the Lord there are many reasons we can exalt him there are personal reasons there are corporate reasons so let's just take this moment to exalt him
as children. We come, arms open wide. Would you join me in this posture? As children we come, arms open wide. So desperate for you, so in need of your life. May our praise fill your ears, may our cries touch your you join us in asking the Lord to just come be with us.
As children, we come. As children, we come, arms open wide. So desperate for you, so in need of your life. May our praise fill your ears, may our tongues touch your As we continue to dwell in what we've experienced this morning, we're going to move into our next phase of worship, which is communion. service where we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Um, so those of you who are at home, if you would uh, take this a moment to go and get your bread and juice or wine uh, to celebrate with us. I'd like to read a scripture from uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20. And he took bread gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. So that phrase, do this in remembrance of me, has really captured me for about the last 10 years. What is it that we're called to remember? Well, Jesus, obviously, yes, but, um, but more, but the whole of Jesus, who he is, what he does, and what he says. And so it's not only Jesus, the man, God, but it's his salvation, his sacrifice, his mercy, his compassion, his love, his forgiveness, his generosity, and so many more things. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being with us. I bless this bread and cup in your name. Lord, would you cause this food to nourish our body, soul, and spirit? Amen. Let's take the bread, remembering him. And now the cup, remembering him. We've sung, come Holy Spirit. We've said, come Holy Spirit. We've remembered Jesus. I just want to take a moment now to wait. The more we, we wait, the more we wait, the more he does. So let's just wait. There may be a scripture coming to mind. There may be a prophetic word. 
God, we remember, we were reminded how the disciples, uh, you told them to go and wait for your spirit to come. And in this world where information comes at us faster than we can handle it, uh, what a pleasure it is to just wait with you this morning. Jesus taught his disciples to pray a simple prayer. It's up on the screen for you in Spanish and in English. Would you read it with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We pray expectantly that God's kingdom would come. And in some specific ways, there was a team praying for you this morning. At the end of the service, we're going to have a prayer team over in this corner, uh, ready to receive you for any physical, emotional, or spiritual need. But specifically, as they were praying this morning, they thought that God was pointing a couple of you out. Someone with a foot infection, someone with a child with pain in their arm, someone who's wondering if they're hearing God at all. If that's you, know that God just wants to point you out, not to point you out in shame, but to point you out in expectancy to say, hey, I know what's going on in your life. I want you to come and see me. I want to talk with you. I'm real. I'm alive. I love you. Jesus loves you. And so uh, today, Arlita, would you come? We've got some announcements. There's more going on in the church that we can experience God's love, his spirit, and, um, and some specific things that we can be doing today even. I'm going to steal your mic. Steal my mic. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Mission Vineyard. We're so glad you took the risk on us this morning um, to come out. It's good to see so many new faces and so many familiar faces. Uh, so we're welcome. Our mission here at Mission Vineyard is to welcome Jesus into all of life. And that is everything, all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. And so we really appreciate you uh, coming here and worshiping with us. And for those of you who are online still, we really are thankful that you're worshiping with us. I have a couple of really quick announcements. Um, the main one is that we hope you feel welcomed. Um, I have here this welcome bag. Um, if you're new, um, we have a folder with some information about our church, as well as what we call a manna bag. And that's really just something to keep in your car. Um, if you're out driving around and you see someone at a stoplight who needs some change or money, I, I never carry cash, and so I want, but I want to be able to bless my neighbors in some practical way. And so we have a manna bag as our gift to you uh, for visiting with us that you can keep in your car. And then um, just this quick little connect card, if you're new here, I'll be sitting at the back table um, to like grab these if you want to give them to me at the end of the service. Um, but it's just a way for us to connect with you all. Um, we send out a weekly email um, that gives different tips and information about what's going on in the life of the church, lots of small groups or different activities that are happening, and that's the best way to kind of keep informed. And so it's just a, a quick, we won't spam you, we won't send you like... Uh, I don't know, things. I was like, what's the equivalent of snail mail? But it's like the, the chain mail thing. <laughs> we don't do that. We just send the information about the church and what's going on. And so we're really thankful that you're here, and we hope that you would love to continue participating in the life of our church. I'm going to uh, pray for our tithes and offerings. We're not right now collecting a basket here, and like we're not passing anything. Um, we're kind of readjusting to what we were doing pre-COVID and what do we do post-COVID. So um, if you want to give, as that's part of your act of worship, um, Again, in the back, I'll, I'll be back there, and you can hand something, and I'll make sure it gets to the appropriate person. Um, but I still want to pray for our giving, because for many people, that's part of their act of worship, is how they give back to God what he has given to them. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this day. I thank you for the sun and the rain. I thank you, Lord, for these people here and those that are not with us right now. Lord, I pray that you bless Randall as he preaches today, and that every um, amount of money, whether it's a penny or a dollar or whatever, Lord, you, you bless people with that they give back to you, it would be part of their act of worship towards you. And we thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. I just happened to think it's a good thing to take the offering up before the preacher preaches. I just thought that was, that was pretty strategic, you know, just in case. That's good. So maybe it didn't occur to you, but it did occur to me. So thank you for this opportunity. This is really one of the more important days in our Christian calendar. Uh, arguably, uh, as it 
reflects this really advent of the Holy Spirit among the church after Jesus' ascension. Uh, when we really see for the first time really in the scripture the entire uh, purpose of God the Father, the Trinity in Jesus, and now the Holy Spirit to come and to empower us in a variety of ways. Uh, we really see in this Pentecost event, this time in our calendar, the opportunity to see God completely in his intentions toward us and his intentions for us uh, as his people. So it's a real honor to be able to share with you today. Just that scripture that we read so many times in Acts 1-8, this is the marching orders of the Holy Spirit as he came, uh, the advent of the Holy Spirit among the believers. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is Jesus saying this. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even in the remotest part of the earth. It's very clear here that in this mandate, Jesus is, it's a sort of a recapture of what we sometimes call the Great Commission that we see at the end of the book of Matthew. But here it's fresh, it's, it's, it's about where we're to go and what we're to do. But I think one thing that we sometimes overlook, uh, perhaps, I know I have, that he says, you shall be my witnesses. Not that you shall go witness, Yes, we'll do that, but it's who we are in Christ that is the platform, is the foundation of everything that we do. And so we are going to continue to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in ministry and in calling, but I wanted today to put before you really this, in my opinion, perhaps the most important part of our relationship with the Holy Spirit, and that's what He would make of us his work in us in formation. Uh, sometimes we call that spiritual formation. Sometimes we call that discipleship. There are all kinds of ways to do that. So my experience when I was first uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit, the term that I've used and that describes pretty well my experience, I was 33 years old uh, when that part of my experience really came and impacted my life and began to change my life. I cannot stand before you and say, it changed me, and now I'm all okay. But it began to change me in a different way. I, by that time in my life, I had been a Christian uh, since I was seven years old. You know, it was a mammoth decision. Of course, at seven years old, I knew everything I needed to know for the rest of my life. Uh, but I did have some updates on that software several times in my teenage years. And I continued to grow. I, I had a chance to go to university, a seminary, and eventually become a seminary professor. And I guess one of the ultimates back in the day for us uh, as Baptists in those days, that's where I was, was to be a missionary and teach uh, Old Testament, that's my field, uh, in Argentina. So I had had all of that going on in my life before I really encountered the Holy Spirit in my life, before that baptism in that. It was a real tough part of my life. It was perhaps the most challenging part of my life because uh, some things that were going on in my life uh, threatened that everything that I would do from now on would be different. But yet God in his faithfulness, me because of my additional uh, desperation, met me in a very powerful way and began to change me. And I immediately assumed, I went back to my old Baptist ways. If you're Baptist, please don't hear me criticizing. God's used everything and a whole lot of other things in my life. So thank God for Baptist because I know the scripture. I got to go to seminary. I got to become a pastor and do a bunch of things just because of that commitment alone. But there was something missing in me, and that was who I was and who I was becoming. And so it took this event in my life to really open me to everything. I was desperate. God, if there's more of you, I need that, and I need that yesterday, certainly now. And so that, that experience for me 
really became the experience more than the gifts to do things for God, more than even just how it enhanced worship like we did today, just the, the, the sweetness of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Lord in His Spirit just transforms that. But what it, when it became my realization that it is about what He wants me to, make, to be and that the Holy Spirit in me was more about my formation, my transformation, my conformity to his will. We're going to sing a song at the end of this, a good old vineyard song that kind of captures that. So be, uh, be anticipating that. But the formation, my spiritual formation, you shall be my witnesses. Who we are and who we're becoming, it becomes the empowerment of our ministry. It becomes the foundation of our calling. So I want us to focus on that a little bit today if we can. I, I was reading not too long ago uh, a passage from the art historian Hans Ruckmacher. Uh, he asked his students why, and in that he meant, to what end does God save us? Why does he do that? To what end does he save us, he asked. And his wonderful answer was to make us fully human. Now, what does that mean to me? It is to make us more and more into that image of God that we were created to be, to make us everything that we lost in sin, that God would transform us and continue to make us more and more just like Jesus, who was the express image in flesh of God himself. And so this Pentecost speaks loudly and emphatically here for me, and I wanted to just share that with you. In John 15, 12, uh, toward the end of one of Jesus' cycles in that gospel, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So he commands that. Many times we call that the great uh, commandment. Uh, to go alongside the Great Commission sometimes. But then in John 15, same chapter, but verse 16, he concludes this section on love by saying this, I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. And so that is an order. That is a command that Jesus has given, and that's what he's appointed for us to have that sense of fruit in us. I would like to preach on the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, but uh, I don't have time to go through all of those. But let me read it to you, if I might, and uh, do a couple of things that I think are very important for me once again, and I hope for you as well. But it, it starts really in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 19, before we get to the actual fruit. Let me read that, if I can, for you. Uh, now, the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. That's not even all of them, right? And other things like that, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, often patience, but I would like to make that forgiveness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and instead of self-control, that sounds to me like I'm supposed to be controlling myself. It's more control of him by the, of me by the Spirit. And so, discipline, perhaps. Against such things, there is no law. Now, these are those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step, or as one translation says, walk, walk by the Spirit. So, the fruit of the Spirit is really what we're supposed to live by. That's who we are, and that's who we're becoming as God transforms us. I don't want to preach on this. Well, actually, I would like to, but we'd like to get out probably before uh, 1 o'clock, right? Is that what it is, John? No. <laughs> anyway, but I would like to say that the, there's significance in this passage because I believe those fruit are somewhat progressive, that each one opens the door 
by the Spirit to the next one, that love is the first thing, that we're to love God and we're to love people. But that love also opens the door to joy, and joy opens the door to peace in our lives, forgiveness in our life, kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, and being controlled by the Spirit Himself, living the life that He is making in us to live. And so it is a process of God through His Holy Spirit of transforming us into the people and so we, we have things to do, there's no question. But there are some things that we do that make it difficult for us uh, to really focus on. And I, I want to share a couple of things with you in the time I have left that are really personal testimonies for me. So it's sometimes hard to preach on some hard things when it sounds like you're accusing people. Well, this is a testimony, okay? So let's make that clear. So what's the old phrase? If you point your finger at everybody, there's three more pointing back at you. So just it, don't, don't feel the one at you. Just, just listen to me for a minute here. I've read a book lately by Peter Scazzaro called Personal and Corporate Formation. It was just printed uh, this year. And in this best-selling book, because it's, it's really widely uh, popular right now, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat... Uh, Oliver Sacks tells the story of a woman who for decades lived in a family system that kept her stuck and immature. This is just an amazing story, so I'm not going to try to tell it. If you'll forgive me for a second, I'm going to read it to you, okay? Madeline arrived at St. Benedict's Hospital in 1980 at the age of 60. She had been born blind and with cerebral palsy. Throughout her life, she had been protected looked after, and babied by her family. What shocked Sachs, the doctor there at St. Benedict's Hospital, the neurologist responsible for her care, was that she was highly intelligent, spoke freely and eloquently, but could do nothing, absolutely nothing, with her hands. You've read a tremendous amount, he noted. You must be really at home with Braille. No, I'm not, she said. All my reading has been done for me. I can't read Braille, not a single word. I can't do anything with my hands. They are completely useless. She held them up. Useless, God-forsaken lumps of dough. They don't even feel part of me. This is a true story. Sachs was startled by that. He thought to himself, the hands are not something usually affected by cerebral palsy. Her hands would seem to have the potential of being perfectly good hands, and yet they are not. Can it be that they are functionless, useless, because she had never used them? Had everything been done for her in a manner that prevented her from, be, being, or from developing a normal pair of hands? So Madeline had no memory of ever having used her hands. In fact, Zach notes that she had never fed herself, never used the toilet by herself, never reached out to help herself, always leaving it to others to help her. She lived for 60 years as if she were a human being without hands. This led Sachs to try an experiment. He instructed the nurses to deliver Madeline, uh, Madeline's food to her, but to leave it slightly out of her reach as if by accident. He writes that one day it happened. What had never happened before, impatient, Hungry, instead of waiting passively and patiently, she reached out an arm, groped, found a bagel, and took it to her mouth. This was the first use of her hands, her first manual act in 60 years. Madeline progressed rapidly from there. She soon reached out to touch the whole world, exploring different foods, containers, implements. She asked for clay and started to make models and sculptures. She began to explore human faces and figures. Speaking of her hands, Sachs writes, they were one, uh, they were, one felt, not just the hands of a blind woman exploring, but of a blind artist. A meditative and creative mind just opened to the full sensuous and spiritual reality of the world. Madeline's artistry developed to the point that within a year, she was locally famous as, quote, the blind sculptress of St. Benedict's. 
Who would have imagined that such a great artist, an astonishing person, lay hidden within the body of this 60-year-old woman who had not only suffered from multiple physical limitations, but who had also dis been disabled by those who had thought they were caring for her? This became something of a metaphor for my life that I realized what God had been trying to do all along was to use the things that he had given me and made me. And I was all about the doing of what God wanted, and I wasn't about the making or letting God make me into this person. Now, I'm not a, a blind artist, but there are times when I'm a blind minister. Uh, I'm an insane minister at times. I, some of those acts of the flesh that, that, that precede the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, those are things that I've battled with a good part of my life, even in spite of the ministry opportunities that God has given me. But it wasn't until that God really convinced me that the relationship with him before anything I did, before anything that he would call me to do was what he wanted to make of me, that we would become his witnesses, that we would be his witnesses, not just what we talk about, not what we just do, but who we are. And who we are ultimately is the gospel that you and I have to share. The gospel is who we are, what God has made of us, not what we've made of ourselves, not what our education is, not what we do. Now, certainly doing is important, but doing should come out of the integrity of who we are, not just what we learn to do to be effective or to get somebody to do what we want them to do. It is about becoming the people of God, and it's not a, an act that we ever finish. I'm not an expert on heaven. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, you know, these may not be the last days, but they're probably mine one way or the other. So, you know, and you're all in that same boat, by the way. I don't know if they're the, but they're ours, right? And this is what God's doing in us, what God wants to do. And those fruit, they're probably not exclusive. That's not the whole list of what he wants to do. But they show you this sense of process that God is investing in us through his Holy Spirit. And so, uh, Scazzaro here talks about this after sharing this story about three failures that he sees about our formation as people. And I found these very compelling for me. Uh, there are three that I'm going to talk about. His book's a little longer, but these were the three that really uh, impacted me. The first failure is we tolerate emotional immaturity, not, not in each other, but in ourselves. I mean, we, we may tolerate it, but you know, we're just like Pharisees in the sense that we can't see anything in ourselves, even the big stuff but we can see the tiniest little thing in everyone else. So he's not talking about that we tolerate emotional immaturity in others because we probably gripe about that when we see it in others. But when we see it in ourselves is our failure to see that in ourselves and to be accountable to someone, to get help from someone that helps us see, helps me see what is so plain to anyone else but I can't even see the big stuff, much less the little stuff. Now, again, that's not my accusation. That's my testimony. So don't get mad at me or throw anything at me. But we also, a second failure, we emphasize, now listen to this. This is a tough one. Um, we emphasize doing for God over being with God. Because it's being with him that transforms us. It's his presence, whether in the Holy Spirit or in the body of Christ or in just nature that God's created. I mean, there is general revelation as well out there. It's his presence in all of that is what transforms us. And so we emphasize, I have emphasized most of my life, you could call me a workaholic. And I would have been proud of that for a long time. But we emphasize doing for God over being with God. And then he talks about the, the last failure. We define success wrongly. Now, what we call success many times is something that's just big. It's just 
how grand it is. And that's our culture, because our culture, if you're not growing, if you're not big, you're a failure. But I'd like to talk just real quickly about that. I am paying attention to the time. Uh, that we tolerate emotional immaturity. We can, we can be a gifted speaker for God in public, we can but be detached as a spouse or angry parent at home. We can function as a leader and yet be unteachable, insecure, and defensive. Uh, one can lead people for God when in reality our primary motive is an unhealthy need to be admired by others. One can be hurt by the unkind comment of a coworker and justify saying nothing because we avoid conflicts at all costs. One can lead a large ministry with little transparency, rarely sharing struggles or weaknesses. And, and Scazzaro uh, says there are two reasons. Number one, we no longer measure our love for God by the degree to which we love others. We no longer measure our love for God by the degree to which we love others. We're called to love God and love people. And loving people ought to be an outcome of that loving God. So how do you really love God? It's how you love people. All people around us. Engage them all. Especially those who need it the most. Reason number two, we elevate the spiritual and distrust the emotional. Now that may seem a little confusing to you, but let me share this with you. Most Christians... Scazzaro says, value the spiritual over every other aspect of our God-given humanity, the physical, the emotional, the social, and intellectual. Ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement, in neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to really know God. And so that's a part of emphasizing doing for God over being with God because we're reluctant. I've been reluctant in that, and I've substituted doing, and I've done it all over the world, it seems like but it has not changed me like the presence of God has. You know this passage probably out of Luke 10, the little passage, a little, it's a real iconic story of Mary and Martha when Jesus is visiting them. And uh, Mary is all upset. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And she chose to spend time at his feet instead of. So I, I have been a Martha for much of my life. Not that I had a sex change or am identifying that way. But I have been a Martha by the way I have acted works for God that is not nourished by a deep interior life with God will eventually deteriorate in us with it. And when we talk about success in our culture, let me just say one quick word here. Uh, in, in John chapter 1, when we read about John the Baptist, John the Baptist would have had a hard time being a minister in the United States of America. Uh, it was clear about who he was, his true self in God, and about who he was not, his false self. Without hesitation, in John 1.20, he says, I am not the Messiah. In John 1.21, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet. In uh, verse 23, I am a voice in the wilderness preparing the way for the Lord. And then in verse 27, I baptize with water, but the Messiah is coming, and I'm not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. Well, think about this. As a result, John had an authority and commanding presence the people of Israel had not seen in hundreds of years. At the same time, he experienced a steady and then steep numerical decline, not increase, but decline, in his ministry. 
And at that moment, he affirmed to his followers in John 3, 27, I per, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. That, for John, was a success, was to take what God gave him and what God made him. And so I'd like to challenge us with that today. Let me read a couple passages here for close, and then we're going to sing a song that will help us, I think, put a closure to this, a little confession. John 14, 26, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Counselor, the Paraclete, however you want to translate that, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Philippians 2.13, for it is God who is working in you and me, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. And then finally from Psalms, a person steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in that person's way. So as we continue in this series the next couple of weeks about discipleship, being followers of Jesus, let us not forget our bedrock, our formation, as God transforms us, spiritually forms us. Let's pray, and then we'll close with a song. Lord, thank you for your word. Somewhat tough. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to share it. Uh, it was difficult, Lord, but thank you for helping me do that. And I just pray that it resonates with many of us as it has with me, uh, that, Lord, uh, who we are is what we have to share with one another. So I just pray that you would make us better followers, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would continue to transform us, and that we would see your, the fruit of your spirit operating in us, among us, and for those around us. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. heart and transforms it. So take my Take my heart, chance. 
So I'm going to put these uh, words, if we can, back up on the screen for those uh, who are praying for us this morning. And then for those who just feel like, man, everything that Randall's talking about, that's great and all, but I'm just a failure. If you're really good at beating yourself up, this is the day that the Holy Spirit's here for you, to minister to you, to love you, to remind you that he's the one that's going to do it in you. So I'd encourage you, you know, this day of Pentecost, to come and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Randall said there was a day he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you don't feel like the Holy Spirit's done that in you, if you feel like there's just this continual stumbling, you just kind of feel like, man, I, I try to work hard on my own to get this done, to change my heart, and it never works. This is a day to just come forward and surrender and go, God, maybe you've got more for me. If you don't feel like God has more for you, if you feel like, no, he gave me everything and I'm still a screw-up, well, then definitely come. But if you feel like maybe God could have more for you, would you not leave today without coming and getting prayer? There are prayer teams here. If you want, just come forward. This team's going to continue to play. Just come. The Lord has more for you. That's what Pentecost is all about. The Lord has more for you. The Holy Spirit's here for you. Jesus loves you. And he wants so much to give that to you just because he loves you. Would you receive this benediction? I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That he would be the one that transforms you. That you would surrender. That God would give you everything and more that you'd ever need. That you'd be happy in him and, and his feeling to transform you. To give you his love and that the rest would come with it. I bless you in Jesus' name. Come for prayer. Go pick up your kids. Hang out for a while. If you, if you don't come forward and get somebody to pray for you, just poke somebody and say, hey, pray for me. I don't want to leave without somebody praying for me. Go in peace.